welcome back to season five of That's What She Did podcast. We're dedicated to amplifying the voices of the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you don't already know. We highlight everyday women who are impacting today's social issues, while also centering the voices of women of color. In short, we curate the stories of brilliant women. This season, we're bringing you Women Who Disrupt. Each episode, you're going to hear from an impactful and inspiring woman push your thinking, challenge your assumptions, and most importantly, inspire you to find a way to create impact in your corner of the world. I'm Tangier Renee, creator and host of That's What She Did. Thank you for joining me and your fellow inspiration junkies as we learn from and connect with today's brilliant women. Hey friends, it's me, your host, Tangie Renee, and this is season five, episode four of That's What She Did podcast. We are in the middle of Women's History Month and we are being hit by a global pandemic, the coronavirus. I felt that it was really important that we spend some time on the podcast addressing this unprecedented and epic time in all of our lives. We're all in this together. We're all trying to figure it out and we're all being impacted by it in deeply personal and sometimes really scary ways. So I want to take a break from what I had planned to release today, which is another episode that is um, in line with our theme this season, uh, Women Who Disrupt. And we have plenty of those episodes coming out for you um, in the coming weeks. But I felt it was important to take a break and just address what we are dealing with. It is a super stressful time. It's, it's you know, life changing for us individually, but there's definitely a sense that we are in the middle of a global shift. And so I wanted to bring on a licensed professional counselor to help just support us all and talk us through the anxiety and stress of this situation, how we can cope with it better, how we can, you know, create some normalcy for ourselves, how we can support other people through this that are close to us, you know, a number of strategies that we can put into place right, right now to just help us feel better about the situation. We don't know where this is going to go. And we're taking it day by day. And it feels very unsettling. And I want to make sure we're being a good resource for this community. So I give you Dr. Sochi Vallejos, a licensed professional counselor who's got some great tip for us. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. Right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week, we have a special episode for you all because we are recording this in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak. And it's a day to day changing situation. Literally, we don't know from day to day what's going to change. And it's a time of high anxiety. So we wanted to break into our normal programming. God, I sound like an actual TV station or something here. (laughs) We wanted to take a break from our our normal season and come in with some much needed resources and support around what's happening um, with the coronavirus stuff because it's, it's a pandemic. It's scary for everyone. It's worse in some places than others. We're all being impacted by it in some shape or form. And so it's important that we band together and provide each other with whatever resources are available to us. So to that end, I am happy to introduce you to Dr. Sochi Vallejo. So she is a licensed professional counselor, and we're just going to break down what everybody can be doing right now in effectively managing our fear and anxiety around what's happening with the virus so that we are not making ourselves go crazy with, you know, all of the stuff that's happening. I know we've all had our moments. I had my moments a few days ago where I was like (laughs) going down the tubes with um, 
anxiety and fear and, and worked my way out of that. But at some point, we are all going to face it if we're not doing it right now. It's just an ongoing situation. So I want to welcome Dr. V to our show to give us some much needed support during this crazy and unpredictable time. So welcome to the show, Dr. V. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and to be able to share some time with you and your guests or your um, audience. Yes. Um, Um, So happy to have you. So thanks so much for acting quickly when I reached out and, and said, I need I need a licensed professional here to help us through all that. So you, you stepped right up immediately. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, before we jump in, I just want to do something really quickly, if it's okay. Sure. Um, I'm guessing that probably most of the people listening are not going to be driving anywhere since we're mostly are, are on shutdown. So I'd like everybody to just um, sit if possible with both feet on the ground um, and just take a really deep inhale. Probably most of us have been somewhat holding our breath this week. Yes. So big inhale. My exhale. Um, that is one of the best things to do to reduce anxiety when you're experiencing it is to take those deep breaths right now, because of the intensity of everything is changing and it's shifting from moment to moment by hour by hour. Um, it can be easy to get caught up in the frenzied energy, the collective mm-hmm. frenzy, the inner frenzy, the home. And so one way to interrupt that is just taking uh, 30 seconds of deep breaths. I like it. That's something that I do myself. Yeah. Um, but it's a great reminder and honestly something I have forgotten to do all of this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, ever since, you know, social isolation became very clear that that was something we need to do. I think you're right. I think I've been holding my breath a lot this this week. So thanks for I that know, reminder. Yeah, I know I have too, that I've been um, having to remind myself, you know, sit down, breathe, like just because it feels very um, top of the lungs breath, you know, especially when things start to happen and things start to increase. I can, I feel myself starting to go into that hyper arousal state and countering that by breathing and putting my feet on the ground and actually feeling the ground beneath me helps to keep me from spinning out. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing you and I chatted about before we started recording was this idea of like the collective energy um, impacting us. It's something that I've noticed um, the very few times that I've I've gone out to a public place, like just to the grocery store, basically to grab a few things here and there. Um, as soon as you walk into that space where there's a crowd of people, you can just feel the tension and the anxiety in the air. And so it, I think it becomes difficult to distinguish between what is really your own anxiety and what is just someone else's or it's collective in the community. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Or what are some things we can do to not get caught up in that frenzy? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> there is evidence that we, um, there's these things called mirror neurons. So when we're with somebody, we can sense their what's going on with them. This is where um, attuning as a parent or as a partner really comes in. It can also be not so great when we're in these kind of collective frenzied states because we can pick up up on other people's hyper arousal or fear, anxiety, and start to mirror that. So one of the things that I recommend is, of course, trying to stay out of those places as much as possible. But what I always do is I will put on a podcast or an audiobook that is encouraging and kind of funny and makes me feel good or good music and put my headphones on so that I'm creating sort of an energetic barrier so I can see what other people are doing and I can sense it, but I can recognize that that's their stuff and not my stuff because I'm in a good space internally, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's a good tip. I actually had to go to the grocery store this morning just to grab a couple of simple things. And it was like immediate bombardment of anxiety. And now that you mentioned that, I wish I had taken my earbuds and just like put on something (laughs) to distract me from the frenzy that was happening, happening around me. Like you could just feel the nervous energy. And there were some people that were downright frantic and they were making all the people around them nervous. And then those people were getting more nervous. And that it was just like this domino effect that I saw it happening in front of me. And it was like, I got it. I was just like, I got to get out of the section. And I just like took off and went, you know, someplace else where I needed to grab something. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, it's really 
it's tough right now for people. Yeah, it is. And I understand it. It's it, This is something that most of us have never faced in our lives. We don't know what's ahead. There's, um, you know, there's a, a lot of unknown. And as humans just don't do well with not knowing, you know, mm-hmm. mysteries, and we, we like to have a plan, we like to have an agenda, we like to think that somehow we control our future and our environment. And when these things happen, it really shakes that and it really causes that um, real existential anxiety of, do I really have any power? Do I really have any control? And those are things that are just, it's a lot to deal with. Um, so yeah, the music is also a really good one. I listen, I've been listening to the birds of prey soundtrack. And so I had to go to the market yesterday and I was kind of bopping through, you know, listening to this music and I realized what a different space I was in, um, when I was passing people and they just had this like panicked look and, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I left that place really quickly too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, got it. Got the three things I needed. Check. Bye. <laughs> I had to get out of there. It was making yeah. me, it was making me nervous just yeah, standing in that space. Um, but, you know, quick shout out to any like grocery store workers, anybody that's working in that supply chain. They were truly the picture of calm uh, when people were <laughs> freaking out around them and they were still so pleasant and, and work, they were working really hard and they were trying to fill those shelves as quickly as they could, um, mm-hmm. despite people being just really frightened and, and freaky and, and downright mean in some cases. And they were on top of it. So any grocery store workers out there, anybody that's working on the supply chain right now, you're amazing. Thank you for your service. That's all I want to say. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, you know, this has been a really interesting time. Um, I, you know, I was chatting with my husband about this last night and I was like, this is such a huge learning experience about crisis and fear and just <laughs> the unknown. And here we were bopping along, feeling really good about everything. And then uh, we realized how little control we actually have. And so what would you say to people that are experiencing that now and not feeling like they're managing it very well? Right. Well, I think that first off, I want to say it's normal, right? This kind of um, collective anxiety and fear of the unknown is perfectly normal. And it's not something that there's nothing wrong with not handling it well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I would say is that it's important for us to control the things that we can control. And I am not a huge fan being a, I'm a recovering control freak. So I'm not necessarily a fan of the word control, but more of like managing what we can manage. So we can't manage what's in the grocery store and what's available. We can't, we can't manage what the government is doing or not doing there. All of those things are completely out of our control, but the things that we can manage are things like um, our perception of things, what we're telling ourselves about things, how much media consumption we're engaging in, um, the measures we're taking to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And so I say, always go back to what can you manage? So can you continue to operate your life by schedule? It feels very difficult when there's so many things changing and so much trying to homeschool the kids and trying to do this and trying to do that, but creating a schedule and following it can actually be really helpful in managing the feelings of uh, powerlessness and um, anxiety that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What are you know some ways to to set up a schedule that actually makes sense for a time like this? Because I think there's there's a balance. There's I see a, I've seen see, um, some people having a certain amount of anxiety or frustration or even guilt around not being scheduled enough, like feeling like they're not being productive enough at this time. And this is like, I'm like, well, you can cut yourself a break. This is really uncharted territory for all of us. But I would agree that there's this balance, like there's this certain amount of routine that personally I have found really helpful in my day and feeling like I'm not just sitting and doing nothing, which is not a healthy place for me to be, but also feeling like, you know, there's a middle ground somewhere in there. So how does someone strike that middle ground of creating some kind of routine without it being about 
um, feeling guilty because you're not like working eight or 10 hours a day. Yeah. Well, I think that is just the, the expectation or the idea that we should be super productive is just not a realistic thing. I've seen a lot of memes going around like, oh, you know, Shakespeare wrote blah, blah, blah while on quarantine. And like, yeah, Shakespeare had like servants and no kids too. So it's a different thing. Like we're not going to, you're not going to write your magnum opus uh, in quarantine this week, like let that go. Um, so the scheduling things, there should be certain things that are just non-negotiables. Um, so going for a walk, if you're able to do that, if you're, um, if that's something that's, that works for you, breathing, making sure you stay hydrated, eating meals at, at, at least relatively consistent times. Um, that that's definitely like even just the minimums, right? It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to get up at six and I'm going to go work out for an hour and I'm going to do this. Like, that's just unrealistic. There's too many, um, the feelings and the emotions and that just the extreme unknown, it's okay to give yourself a break and to, you know, watch Netflix, you know, when you <laughs> and not feel guilty about it. So just find those things that are non-negotiable, going for a walk, going for a few walks. I have a a puppy. And so I like to take him, I'm I'm making it like a deliberate, intentional, taking him out for a few walks to make sure that I'm getting out and getting some air. My kids are, um, while also staying distant from other people, of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that's like a non-negotiable. It has to happen. Um, hygiene. I know it sounds super silly, but I'm like, I put on, uh, I don't wear much makeup, but I put on my mascara this morning and I put on some lip gloss because I'm like, I feel like if I don't do these things, I'm just going to sit here in a, you know, my pajamas and spiral into depression. And so we really want to try to make at least a minimal effort to maintain a sense of um, normality, normalcy in mm-hmm. our daily, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, let's let's touch on on loneliness a little bit because some people are isolated on their own and they're used to getting out and being social people and all of a sudden that's in some cases not allowed at all depending on where you are or at least strongly frowned upon at this particular time. What are some strategies or some things that people can do who are on their own and are feeling just lonely and sad right now? Yeah. Um, I know it's not the ideal, but scheduling video chats with friends. So I have a good friend who lives in Georgia and she and I will schedule um, like a virtual happy hour where we'll sit and talk and just connect that way. And we've done this for ages, this before this happened, but scheduling phone calls, reaching out to your friends, um, having actual communication, like texting is, is fine. Um, Social media is, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's, it's okay, mm-hmm. but actually get on the phone. I know that's weird anymore and speak to people. You know, I've had, I had like a, an hour conversation with a friend last night, an hour and a half this morning with the girlfriend and all of those things to help to keep thing, keep um, the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I'm part of that generation that doesn't like to talk on the phone to anybody. I think, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the person that if you call me, I'm like, why are you calling me? Why would you just text me like a normal person? <laughs> but <laughs> this morning I did call my grandparents and, you know, talk to them on the phone. Cause they're not going to text me. Well, my grandma will occasionally, but they're not going to video chat with me. They'll get on the phone. And so we yeah. had a good like 30 minute conversation. And that was, I'll say it felt really good at the end of that. I was like, okay. They're fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. (laughs) It was helpful for sure. So um, for those of you like me that don't like to actually talk to people on the phone, maybe make an exception this, this time around. (laughs) Yeah, I would say make an exception. Um, I'm not usually a phone talker either. Like I will, if I'm commuting, um, I'll talk to people, but I, I like my, I'm, I like my alone time. I don't really, that's just not, but it's super important because we don't have that connection right now. And especially like, like if I have kids and so I have other people to talk to, mm-hmm. um, I also talk to my puppy, but you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, <laughs> and so, but if you're living completely alone, it's super important to make sure that you're having those connections. It's not the same, obviously as a hug in person, but it is better than not having any human contact at all. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that brings me sort of to the next thing that I think that we need to touch on. And that's just sadness and depression. And how do we manage those things? How do we even recognize them, I guess, first of all, um, in, in this context? Sure. I mean, I think probably most people, those of us that are paying attention, are, are are all feeling a little bit sad, or maybe a lot sad, because the world as we know it is gone. It's different, right? We're mm-hmm. now we have a different experience, and so there's certainly a sense of grief that goes along with that. There's also the fear of uh, losing loved ones, or you know, all of those things that are happening. So, of course, it's normal to feel uh, sad. Depression is a different thing. Depression is more of a debilitating type of experience. It's more like if you are trying, but you literally are finding yourself having a hard time getting out of bed, or just you know, you, you want to open the blinds, but the idea just makes you you know want to cry. Mm-hmm. You can't get out of bed. You're feeling very unmotivated. That could be um, signs of depression that that are kicking in. Mm-hmm. And if somebody thinks that they may be experiencing depression, you know, beyond sadness of this, but depression, yeah. what would you recommend that they do? It depends. It's so it's like it's easy for me to say this, uh, and I have struggled with depression in the past, but I recognize it, and so and I and I'm more capable of pulling myself out of it. Not everybody's in that space. And so if it's severe, reach out to your physician. Um, I know that they're really overburdened and whatnot right now, but that doesn't, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And so if you can reach out to uh, your physician and see if there's anything they would recommend, uh, reach out to therapists or counselors. A lot of people are doing telecounseling right now, which is, you know, video <clears throat> or phone counseling. Um, I don't recommend the texting apps that are available. I, I've actually uh, partnered with a few that are available and I, I'm not impressed with the resource, with what they provide. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I don't do it anymore. So reach out to therapists, reach out to crisis lines, reach out to, you know, there's hotlines and so on and so forth, but definitely try as much as you can with whatever you have to just do a a little bit, right? So if it's all you can do is get out of bed and brush your teeth, good. Just do that. Mm -hmm. All you can do is open the blinds. Good. Just do that. Just keep trying to move the energy through and reach out to get help whatever way you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that brings me, there's a couple more things that have been sort of on my mind or that I've seen floating around the internet as, as things that I need to be addressed, think I need to be addressed, excuse me. I think one of those things is suicide prevention right now when anxiety is at an all-time high, um, resources are limited for obvious reasons, access to people and places and things is severely limited, um, how do we, as somebody who's, who's maybe not in that space and is around other people who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide or their concern for other people, how do we provide support to those people? Yeah. Um, if there, if people are feeling or expressing thoughts of suicide, it's super important to get them help. Um, be- because it's just, you never know where that can lead. And so encouraging crisis hot, calling crisis hotlines, um, being available to that person is, is helpful. Um, but you also have to have this, this careful balance of it not impacting your mental health. It can be very difficult to support people that we care about that are struggling with suicidal ideation. And so recognizing your own limits and capabilities and how you can help to resource the other person without feeling like you are responsible for that mm-hmm. other person. Um, that's a really delicate balance, which is why we always recommend those in those situations, you rely on mental health providers who can help uh, mitigate some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you recommend, so if somebody is, is with someone or near someone or supporting someone who may be in crisis, what should that person do to try to encourage them to get help? Um, yeah, really just that, right? Just saying that I'm, I'm a very direct person. And I believe that the best kind of communication is direct and validating, hey, I know this is really hard. And I can see it's really having a uh, taking a toll on you. 
I really would recommend that you reach out and get some support. Here's a suicide hotline. Here's a couple of therapists that I know in the area or that are doing telecommuting that might be able to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to help you and be your friend, but I'm your friend or I'm your family member. I'm not a licensed mental health pro or I'm not your licensed mental health pro. Right. So, um, <laughs> I'm here to help you, but you're, you're going to have to like help yourself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, You know, one thing that's, I think has been really top of mind through this whole coronavirus situation is just um, fear, right? It's so huge. And, um, you know, people are dealing with it on different levels. Some of us better than others. <laughs> Some of us avoided completely. And the thing that I, I've learned from fear is that anytime I make a decision that's based in fear, that thing is not the right decision. And it is going to blow up in my face at some point. <laughs> so what are your thoughts around, you know, recognizing our individual fears right now and managing that fear? Yeah. So fear is basically when you're making decisions out of what possibly could happen. Right. And so it's different than being cautious, right? Like I'm cautious about going out I'm I'm taking that's different, right? Fearful is, um, oh my gosh, I need to have like 85 rolls of toilet paper just in case this thing lasts forever. Um, because that, that feels more like a fear-based decision where it's like, okay, well, I need to make sure that I have enough supplies for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. is a rational decision. Um, so it's really recognizing the source of it. Am I doing this? Like, would I be doing this um, otherwise? Right. And I mean, that's a little bit hard to discern because this is a very different time, mm-hmm. but fear feels differently on the inside. Fear feels panicky. Fear feels, um, like we're running away from something. Whereas when we're making decisions ground from our core, where we're grounded and we're centered, it might end up being the same decision, mm-hmm. but the process of getting to that conclusion is much different. I hope that's making sense because it it's hard to describe um, the discernment between what's fear and what's uh, like reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I get you. This is something that, um, on the skin you're in podcast, we talk about a lot and any client that has coached with me, we deal with that head on. Um, So I do like the way that you're describing that. What are some strategies you found that worked when someone is able to recognize that they're in fear mode and walking themselves out of that? Yeah. Um, Well, again, fear feels like it feels very shrinking and constricting if you feel kind of like you're, com- you know, crumbling into yourself. Mm-hmm. And so um, part of how you can counter that is like literally opening up your body. And so if you feel yourself kind of scrunching over and like squeezing in and restricting yourself out of fear, like literally just taking a deep breath and opening your chest and kind of shining your heart forward can help to um, shift that energy. Another thing is meditation. There's definitely, there's tons of apps available that have, um, guided meditations. You can find them on YouTube. You can find, um, just there's tons and tons of resources. Some of the apps that I use are, um, insight timer, which has guided meditations. Um, there's, uh, trying to remember what I'm drawing a blank right now, but there's those that are available. And so I would recommend that, um, even finding how to get out of fear meditations and using those, um, again, grounding sometimes just going outside. And if you're able to, and putting your feet on the ground and feeling the energy of the earth can be a real antidote to fear. Um, reading positive books. I'm not, I am not talking in any way, shape or form about spiritual bypassing. I'm saying like, acknowledge this is a fearful time. There's a lot unknown. There's a lot that's going on, but I don't have to stay in this space. I can hold my fear here and recognize it and honor it and still uh, move toward faith and hope and love with my actions. Mm -hmm. So positive audio books, positive movies, um, podcasts like this one. (laughs) Those are all really great ways. You mentioned spiritual bypassing. What does that mean? Spiritual bypassing is, it's a concept that I do not remember the author that came up with it, but it's the idea of 
denying our human realities by jumping to the like spiritual concepts. So it's when somebody is harmed and somebody says, well, you know, you have to forgive like not acknowledging the pain or it's somebody who uh, this happens a lot, especially in like the new age community. And sometimes like within coaching in the sense of, well, you know, you create your reality. So if you just think positive, then everything around you is going to be positive. And if positive thinking could erase the coronavirus, then none of us would be here. Right. Um, so we have to, it's, it's not jumping away from the realities by using spiritual concepts as a band-aid mm-hmm. or as a bypass, but really being able to sit with what's happening and still move toward um, the higher uh, transpersonal uh, spiritual type of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be interested in, in hearing what you have to say about this. So when I'm working with my clients and we're, t- we're addressing this topic, one thing I like to say to them is feel what you need to feel about it whatever it is, you're, you're allowed to experience your emotions, you're allowed to be mad, you're allowed to be sad, you're allowed to be angry, whatever the thing is, feel what you need to feel about it. But don't set up camp there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hold space for it. Feel it. Um, the, the best way I can describe this is I went through a divorce like 10 years ago. <clears throat> and I got to this point where I was like, you know what, I don't want to feel shitty anymore. Like it's just time's up. Mm-hmm. And so I gave myself, I think that was in October and I gave myself to like the end of October to feel shitty about it. And then in November it was like, okay, but now it's time to like start moving through the energy and, and stop sitting in that space. And so it has to become a conscious choice where yes, the feelings are real and we get to feel them. Mm-hmm. But A, their feelings, that doesn't necessarily make it the truth, right? Our feelings are real, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always true. I hope that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah. And so recognizing that and then making choices to, to move through that, being like, okay, fear, cool. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, Big Magic, describes this. And she talks about going on a road trip with fear. And she writes a letter to fear and says, like, you can, I'm not going to send you away. I'm not going to say that you're not welcome here. I'm I'm totally paraphrasing here. But what you're going to do is you're going to sit in the back and you don't get to have a say. You don't get to tell us what music to play. You don't get to tell Mm -hmm. tell me which road we're going to drive. So you can be here and you can be along for the ride, but you don't get to have any say about what happens. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a really good way to acknowledge that sadness, fear, all of the anxiety. You get to be here, but you don't get to drive. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, You know, one thing I think people could use some support with is learning how to work through the fear on an ongoing basis. Um, Because I think it's something that generally people are not practiced at. We're really great at avoiding it or denying it. Um, We're not taught, I think, in in our modern culture how to address sort of the inner person and understand our fear and our critic, our inner critics and and what to do with those. And we find ourselves in a situation where we have to be still. We have to be with our thoughts. We have to be with our emotions. Um, And I think people are a little like, I I literally, I have no skills here. (laughs) And so when you, so sometimes you can get yourself feeling better, right? Managing that. But then the next day, another announcement comes out and then you're right back to that same old familiar place. So what are your, what's your advice for continuing to move through the fear build and building a practice around it? Because these are the kind of skills that will serve you throughout your life. Yeah. Um, again, meditation and having consistency and in, in your routines in your life as much as you can is really helpful. Um, always breathing, always go back to the breathing. I, I, I learned this when I had children, when I gave birth that, um, as long as you're breathing, if you can control your breathing, you can manage just about anything in your mm-hmm. life. Um, I am convinced that that's the whole trick of Lamaze is that you're focused so much on keeping the breathing pattern that you're not, you know, able to attend a whole lot else. Uh, <laughs> And so always stay connected to the breathing. That's one of the best ways to conquer fear. It physiologically, it calms our nervous system. Um, The more oxygen that we get, the more that it opens our our vessels and we start to, and things are flowing more, more easily, more oxygen to our brain. So it's always good to do that. Uh, Studies have shown that meditation uh, helps people to learn how to physically 
manage their heart rate and different things like that. So all of those things are really helpful. Um, but also recognizing that most of the time, the worst case scenario doesn't happen, right? So if like, if you really want to go into some deep fear management, it's like, okay, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen in this situation? And, and you can kind of go into the, right, the, the worst possible outcome. Well, the odds of that happening are not significant, especially if you're taking precautions and you're doing things that you know to do. And so you can kind of come back from the edge of that fear. Mm-hmm. Most of what we're fearing is the unknown. It's the possibility. It's the worst case scenario. And when we address it head on, it kind of loses its power. Mm-hmm. It's all like the movies you think about where the kid finally turns around and faces the thing that scares him. And suddenly it's like, oh, it really wasn't a giant monster after all. It was just a shadow that looked mm-hmm. really big. And that's really what fear is often. Yeah. No, I think that's really great insight and really helpful for people to remember. It's just been, I think it's just been interesting, the conversation I've been observing, having around this um, coronavirus stuff is a lot of it, I think, is that, yes, there's the very practical fears around work and finances and, you know, illness and yourself or in, in family, friends, that kind of thing. But there's this other underlying anxiety that's happening that people are, I think now just barely starting to kind of acknowledge. And it's like, I've realized with some people is like, they do not know how to sit with their own thoughts and with their own feelings. And they feel very vulnerable, (laughs) which I understand. Um, You know, my own coaching practice, I tell people like, this is not going to look like what you think it's going to look like, because it's a lot of introspection. (laughs) And it's uncomfortable. (laughs) So what would you say to people who are realizing the discomfort of being with themselves, with their own thoughts, their own fears, and having to manage their way through that? Yeah. Well, I would say, well, welcome back. Gosh, you know, it takes a lot of effort to tune out from the human experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I've seen memes going around where it's it's like jokes around um we know we've been quarantined for four days and I met this woman and apparently she's my wife and she's pretty cool, you know, <laughs> and it's a, it's a joke, but the reality is, is that many of us stay one or two levels of or degrees of disengagement away from our daily lives. Um, we have sports to medicate us. We have, um, all the things that we do to distract ourselves. And without those things being available right now, we're kind of really, um, confronting we're belly to belly with all of the stuff that we haven't faced that we haven't dealt with. And so, hell yeah, that's going to be anxiety provoking. Um, but it's also an awakening. It's also an, an opportunity to have an awakening and to, to make some different decisions. Like the decisions now we're grappling with, do I want to continue living my life this way? Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a lot of people that are like, coming to this conclusion that a, like their companies really don't give a shit about them. Um, and they've been putting off their lives to, you know, invest in this company. Um, a lot of people are realizing that they've been missing out on a lot with their families because of work. And now they're starting to question, do I want to continue working the way that I have? So this is the time to really go into those difficult thoughts and to sit with, how do I want to live? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to survive this pandemic, um, God willing, God is willing, and we will have an opportunity, unlike the thousands of people who don't, who will not survive it, to mm-hmm. be able to make a different choice for our lives. And so how do we manage these feelings? Start to look at what really matters mm-hmm. and make different choices. Are there some exercises you, you can think of that help people get to that level of... I mean, I can think of a few. I'd be curious to see what you would prescribe to our listeners to do to get to that level of introspection. Yeah, sure. This is a tough one, but I highly recommend it. Um, And this is to write your own obituary. So imagine that you were like, let's say you you die today. What would your obituary look like today? Right now, let's say that you're living the life that you truly want to live. And uh, what does that look, what would that obituary look like? So let's say today you're like, oh, you know, here lies Dr. V and she was um, worked too much, played too little, um, you know, so on and so forth. And then the ideal is 
you know, uh, here lies Dr. V and she was fun and playful and her kids loved her and, you know, all of the, the difference, right? If there's a mm-hmm. difference between those two, then what do you do to reconcile it so that you can live the way that you ideally want to, as opposed to just go, getting by? Mm-hmm. So watching movies like the bucket list, that'll be really the, <laughs> that'll get you right into that, that space of what do I really want to do and how am I really living my life? I like that. I've never written my own obituary and I can see how it would be. I mean, I, yeah, I think that would be tough to really look at that. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that one. I did that one. Um, in my, I started doing that when I was writing my dissertation, um, because my dissertation really was about this research. I have a son who has a potentially life limiting chronic illness. And so I had to uh, come to terms with his mortality and I had to come to terms with my own mortality Mm -hmm. and, um, being belly, belly, belly to belly with death anxiety that way, where I, you know, recognizing that life isn't a given and that there's all these like intangible forces that can just throw your life in a cast at any moment that, um, it sounds terrifying and it is, but it's also a gift because it helps you to get in touch with what really matters. Mm-hmm. And when you get in touch with what really matters, you start to realize how much time you've invested on stuff that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I do, you know, something, an, an exercise with my clients that's really about getting grounded in, in what do you really want? And I, I walk them through an exercise that just allows them to dream for once. I think what's interesting is is our state of constant busyness. And, and now we're, we're seeing the opposite end of that spectrum, right? Where we're, <laughs> we're like, everything is grinding to a halt. And we don't have busyness as an excuse to be a barrier around what we really want and to really get grounded in in the ideal life, the life that we wanted when at some point before everything got piled on us. And it's really amazing to see what people come up with. And, and then we take a look at, you know, what's the current state? How close are you to that? And sometimes people are, you know, on the path. And a lot of times they're not, you know, myself included. It's something that I always have to come back to a few times a year and, and ask myself, wait, did I get lost here? Or am I on the right path to where I actually said I wanted to go? So it's a good exercise. I mean, I like the obituary one to just slow down and really start asking yourself the questions. Is this the life that you want to live? Yeah, it's a big one. It really is. But it's important. I think it does help us to stay on track and stay on target to where we ultimately want to end up. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be like a destination as much as a way of being like peaceful, mm-hmm. loving, kind. Um, those are the things that really matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Also just kind of want to throw out there that this busyness, I think that that is exactly how the ruling class wants us to be. Um, if we're so busy that we can't pay attention to what's actually going on around us, mm-hmm. then um, it makes it less likely that we're going to, kind of wake up and rebel against the circumstances and be like, this is not right. Right. Uh, when we're fighting just to survive, it um, uh, it becomes a luxury to be able to deal with what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's an interesting point. It's been really kind of crazy and interesting all at the same time during this pandemic to see how very quickly it exposed the cracks in our social system. It didn't take long. It took about a week Mm -hmm. when it, you know, once it hit and then everybody was like, Oh, we, this, this is not working. (laughs) We don't have a process. We don't have supports. We don't have everybody. You're on your own is I think basically what we've experienced. It didn't take long for everybody. I think, well, maybe not everybody, but a good portion of people to go, Oh, I, w- I didn't think about it. I just didn't yeah. have time. Yeah. Right. It's and now we're all thinking about it because mm-hmm. we have no choice but to think about it. Um, I follow a lot of disability activists on social media. And the one that's one of the things that they've been talking a lot about is how um, this, no, you can't work from home. You can't do remote work. It's whatever. All of that was just not true. Mm-hmm. Now we're all working from home. And so it's like suddenly, suddenly it's just possible. Well, it just wasn't three months ago. And that is, again, we're starting to see just what is possible and what's available that they just didn't want to give. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're taking a little aside here, but I just have to say, like, I've been saying for years, 
Um, and I haven't had like a true employer for quite a while, but when I did, I would make this argument about how much money the, a company could save by having a workforce that was really based out of their house mm-hmm. um, and, you know, using virtual meetings. And they would be like, no, you have to be here. And I was like, and I said this to one of my bosses one time. I said, you mark my words. One day something's going to happen that's going to require everybody to be at home and you're not going to be able to use that excuse anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want it to be this, but here we are. So- I think... I think it had to be necessary. Like I'm, I'm not trying to be like super esoteric or weird right now. Um, although, you know, I tend toward the esoteric and weird sometimes, but um, I really feel like sometimes we do have to have something this big to, you know, kind of slap us in the faces and force us to deal with the things that we've been, been ignoring. And you're right. A lot of companies, a lot of are going to be like, well, okay, there really isn't a good reason to not work from home or to have remote options. Um, A lot of students that have been confined to campuses and have these ridiculous schedules, we can't tell them, well, this is just the way it has to be anymore because they're seeing right now that it doesn't have to be that way. And so, yeah, status quo is completely upside down right now. You know, I'd like to ask you about people who might be in a toxic potentially abusive home situation if they're sheltering in place or on full lockdown, just this time of where we generally are supposed to be social distancing and at home. What are their options? What should they know? Is there anything out there that might be able to support them during this time, which is going to be really tough? Yeah, that is such a hard one. Um, because these are the times where because of the anxiety being so high um, that it's easy for like the violent situation to, to boil over and become violent. And so the, if you can't leave, like if there's any possibility, if you're listening and there's any possibility that you can leave making up an excuse to, you have a sick friend or a, you know, um, person that can't get around and they need your help, a parent, an elderly neighbor, something to get you away. If you can do that, um, try to do that. And also keep in mind that doing it in a way that's safe. Um, But if you can't just, and I hate to even say this because I hate to say like manage the situation so it doesn't boil over. um, But sometimes that's all we can do is try to manage the, the, the energy of the house and try to keep everybody at a balanced state so that the, the pot doesn't boil over and cause harm. Um, and I also want to say that with a very clear caveat that it is not your responsibility to keep an abusive person from being abusive. But when you're in a situation where you don't have any other choice, um, it seems prudent to just try to survive. Whatever, yeah. People are going to be faced with a multitude of really difficult situations right now. If you, I think if you know someone that is in distress or might be in potentially in a dangerous situation, I would encourage you to reach out to them and just check on them. Um, maybe if you can bring somebody to your place to stay with you for a safer situation. Of course, I don't know what the CDC would say about that. And you may be taking a risk, um, but definitely reach out to your fans and friends and family and see how they're doing. Um, I In those kind of situations, like if we're talking about keeping somebody safe, I think we have to do what we have to do. Community is community. And um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy choice to make, but sometimes we have to take those risks to help other people that need something that we may be able to offer. Tough choices all around right now. I think one of the most encouraging things I've seen through this whole situation is community really coming together. There have been so many bright spots in, you know, local communities, people in apartments or, you know, nursing home areas, just state government, the city level, just all over the place. People are coming together and really figuring out ways to take care of each other, reach out. Um, support each other, you know, like everything from going to get groceries to, you know, sometimes inviting someone into your home if you have the space and you're willing to take that risk. 
Um, it's just been so beautiful to see what people can do when they pull together and really take care of each other and be there for each other. Because we, you know, to a large extent, we have been on our own on this. We have to figure it out. Our federal government doesn't seem to have a plan. And we just got to do what we got to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, and it's very inspiring, actually. It's very um, encouraging and inspiring to see people stepping it up and helping their neighbors. And it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been beautiful to see. We're almost at time. But before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you, what are some things that people can do like, concretely right now to effectively manage their stress and fear at this time and get really grounded so it's not making an already difficult situation worse, which we don't want? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, we didn't touch on that I have written down that I want to say is reduce your social media consumption. One of the best things that people can do is to not be on social media or to be on a very limited um, social media diet. So I, before this actually happened, um, I deleted all social media apps from my phone because it's just too much. Um, the dinging, the notifications. So it's just too much. So maybe check, um, in the morning after you've meditated and gone for a short walk and had some tea or whatever you drink in the morning, check for 10 minutes, get updates, find out what's going on and then log off. And then you can check again in the evening, um, you know, 6, 7 PM and then log off and don't look at it again. That's one of the best ways that you can manage the fear. Um, and exercise if you're able, right. Um, there are, like Satya Yoga Co-op in Denver, there's people there in the co-op that are doing video streaming of their yoga sessions. Um, I've seen a bunch of free offerings where people, you can work out at home free for 30 days, do things like that. Even if it's, again, just going for a walk or um, dancing in your living room, but burn that energy, right? It's have to burn this energy that's in us and exercise is one of the best ways you can do that. Um, if you have the option also have sex, you know, be, be sex is great for mental health people. It's totally underrated, but it has this, you know, boost ser serotonin, dopamine, all of the feel good chemicals in your body. Um, but of course be safe because we don't want to have a bunch of baby Ronas, uh, or maybe we do. I don't know. But yeah, elderly neighbors, uh, we have a handful in our, our community. So when we were out walking yesterday, we just checked on people to see how they were doing um, this. Yeah, just simple things. It doesn't have to be like, we don't have to be heroic individually. It's sort of like this, this whole idea of um, we can ask one person to donate $10,000 or we can ask 10,000 people to donate one, right? And the more of us that are contributing, the less that we each individually have to give, but the collective effort becomes um, like a, a massive wave. And that's the kind of energy that we want to be putting out into the world. Like we don't have to do everything, but do the little things that we can. And collectively us doing the little bit is helping the, the masses. Yes, absolutely. The little things, you know, it's just about finding what you can do exactly where you are to support somebody else. Maybe it's checking on your neighbor, calling a friend, um, picking up a little bit extra for, you know, to deliver to somebody when you go grocery shopping. There's any number of things that you can do from exactly where you are within your own power to support the people that are going through this with you. Well, thank you, Dr. V, for taking some time out. I know you are caring for your own family and spending some time with us on the podcast today to give us some great tips about how we can get through this really unprecedented and crazy and stressful time. Um, it's the little things, as you say. So thank you so much. Um, please let our listeners know how they can connect with you on the internet. Sure. Um, well, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, the page is Dr. Sochi Lisa Vallejos. Um, my Twitter and Instagram handle is at RealDocV.